2: What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org, Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR! No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie! I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT and T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT and T Fiber. Live like a gazillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com/hypergig for details.
1: hello and welcome to food stuff i'm
0: annie reese and i'm lauren vogelbaum and today for all of our vegetarian friends and frenemies and also for every single one of you who wrote in with a listener request we're talking about tofu yes well, tofu is, is is a little bit more specific. Like people were like, "Hey, you guys just talked about an organ meat for like an hour. Uh, could could you talk about something vegetarian?" <laughs> and we were like, "Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. We, we absolutely will do that. We'd love to. I like a vegetable. Yeah, I do too. Oh, I love vegetables. Yeah, you like tofu? I love tofu. I do too. Uh,
0: especially when it's deep fried. At which point, <laughs> it's you know not necessarily a health food anymore." But, right. But I've always liked the taste and texture of tofu. Uh my mom actually started me out eating it when
1: I was maybe like 5 or 6. Um she was kind of a crazy hippie. <laughs> oh wow. My family was the opposite. We were not allowed to have tofu in my house. What? Oh my goodness. I hated it wow. so much. But I had this like really amazing tofu when I was in China. Which makes sense. And I've been trying to recreate it ever since. I think it actually might have been um The dried skin, like tofu skin. Okay. What what was the dish like? It was like, it was served in a spiral. Um, and it was thin noodles. Well, it looked like thin noodles. And, um, I don't know if anybody remembers those bulbium packages. Yeah. 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 It looked like that, but it was tofu (laughs) and it was like textured on the outside and it was so good. Oh man. It was so good. And I've tried and tried and I, I got kind of close recently. Um, I'm still looking. If, if any <laughs> listener heroes are out there and know what I'm talking about, that would be...
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you have a recipe, send it on in. Uh, so, tofu. What is it?
1: Um, tofu or dofu in Chinese pinyin is coagulated soy milk that's pressed into blocks.
0: And we will do whole other episodes on uh, soy and or soy milk probably because they are kind of big topics.
1: Yeah. Pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Um sometimes almonds or black beans are used in place of soybeans. I can't say I've personally seen this, but but, but yeah, tra- traditionally it's a it's soybeans. Yes. The literal translation of tofu is bean curd. but uh, It's a Japanese word. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it also goes by the equally appetizing bean cheese or bean curd cheese.
0: Which is actually a super good scientific description for it, mm. um, but does not sound tasty.
1: No, it doesn't. Bean cheese. Mm. Mm. It can come in two main types. Fresh, which can be like soft or silken, extra soft. Firm or extra firm, which sounds like mattresses now that I'm saying it aloud. (laughs) Mattress descriptors. Yes. Or it can come uh, processed, which includes pickled, fermented, which you might know as stinky tofu, Mm -hmm. um, dried, frozen, or fried. And then there's also, like, byproducts such as tofu skin, soy pulp, tofu burgers, tofu hot dogs, tofu noodles, tofu cheese, tofu cream cheese, tofu ice cream. You, you've seen the aisles, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Well, aisles might be a lot, but.
0: But, 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 well, items on multiple aisles. Yes. <laughs> they're pervasive. Yeah. They're, they're everywhere. throughout the store. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And retail of tofu in the United States made $274 million as of 2014. There are some 245,000 manufacturers competing in the tofu industry, the largest ones in Japan producing about 50 tons per day.
1: Wow. That is a lot of tofu. I
0: can't conceive of that much tofu. I'm mm. like looking at the size of this room and going way more than this room. And yeah. that's about
1: all, all my imagination has for you today. <laughs> it's a popular vegetarian cuisine, as you probably knew. Um, in part because it's pretty low key flavor wise. So you can customize it. It can be savory or sweet or anything in between that. Also can be used in smoothies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty low calorie, low fat, but high in iron and protein. Depending on the thing you use for coagulating, like calcium or magnesium sulfate, it can also be high in either of those things. Yes, calcium
0: or magnesium. Right. Sure. Um, But speaking of coagulants, let's talk a little bit about those things and how tofu is made.
4: Yes, let's talk about
0: that. So all you really need in order to make tofu is uh, soybeans and water that have been made into soy milk plus a coagulant. And traditionally speaking, that coagulant is nigari, which is an extract of salty seawater. You evaporate that brine to let the sodium chloride, the table salt, crystallize, then take that out, leaving you with what's essentially a liquid solution of uh, magnesium chloride, calcium chloride, and maybe a few other mineral salts. Um, You can also evaporate this to get a powdered form if you so desire, and some people do. These and other agents that are used as coagulants, like um, like like acids or enzymes, work on the soy milk in the same way that various coagulants work on regular milk in order to make it clump up into yogurt or cheese or etc. You can see our yogurt episode for a full description of this, but essentially, here's what's going on. So, soy milk is an emulsion of proteins and fats in water. An emulsion means that these molecules are negatively charged, uh, which means they're kind of keeping each other at arm's length. You know, they're they're giving each other space. Yeah. And the coagulant works by acidifying the soy milk just enough to change the molecular charge of the protein and fat molecules within. Suddenly they're all like like, come in for a hug, buddy. How you doing? (laughs) Um and they clump up, thus creating solid curds of protein and fat and liquid whey, which is uh water and some water soluble proteins. In these our modern times, most large-scale manufacturers skip the sea brine and just use straight magnesium chloride or uh, calcium sulfate, a.k.a. gypsum, uh, because they might be making like 3.5 to 50 tons of tofu per day, Ooh. at which point, you know, you're, you're looking to streamline. Yeah. Um, and nigari, being a natural product, varies in its chemical composition. Mm-hmm. So the second half of this equation is the soy milk. Uh, to get soy milk, a factory will usually purchase dried soybeans because they're cheaper to work with than fresh due to the shipping weight and refrigeration costs and possibility of spoilage that you get with fresh soybeans. And, and the basic process of making this into soy milk goes as such. Um, you rehydrate your dried soybeans by soaking them for a few hours, then mash slash puree them along with some water to form a slurry. That is the industry term. Slurry.
3: Okay.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you heat that slurry to relax some of the soy proteins within it, then uh, separate out the solid bean pulp from the liquid soy milk. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there are so. So many ways in which to accomplish this. And a huge amount of industrial research goes into the best and or cheapest ways. How the soybeans are treated in making soy milk for tofu will hugely impact the the flavor, like beany or funky versus kind of neutral, the, the color, yellowed versus a kind of pure white, um, and the texture, kind of grainy versus smooth and silken. Mm-hmm. So... Do you hull the beans before grinding? Do you use traditional Japanese stone grinders or something a little bit more modern, although probably also Japanese? Do you separate the solids from the liquids prior to heating or afterwards? Do you concentrate the soy milk after it's separated and before it's coagulated? If you ever want a rabbit hole of food production techniques, Tofu is so happy to provide. So many questions.
1: (laughs) So much research to do.
0: Oh, yes. But once you've got your soy milk, however you so choose to do it, you let your coagulant uh, make some soy curds. At that point, if you're going for very soft or silken tofu, you're, you're pretty much done. If you're going for firmer tofu, you press the curds to remove as much whey as you so choose. And um tofu is packaged along with some of that whey to keep it moist and fresh.
1: Oh, so that's why I always have the liquid stuff always in there. Always has a liquid, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: you could pour that off and, I don't know, like drink it or use it in cooking or whatever you want.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Add some protein. Yeah. I have to say I thought there'd be more ingredients in tofu, and I don't know why I thought that, but uh, <laughs> apparently it's – you can make it yourself, and it's – I personally wouldn't say easy, but definitely – Within like, the realm of doing.
0: Sure. Like 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 labor intensive perhaps.
1: Yeah, and I just don't have things. Like you need a cheesecloth and some kitchen weights and I don't have these things. But we can get you some cheesecloth, Annie. Could you? We can get you some cheesecloth by by four o'clock. Oh. Okay. 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 That's exciting. Oh okay. Okay. Um anyway. <laughs> uh I was gonna go into like how to make it, but it's pretty much the same. As uh what Lauren just discussed, but on a much smaller kitchen scale, yes, and you can look up the recipes. there's so many recipes online you you basically you make your own soy milk and then you 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 put in a coagulant and just wait for it to to firm up with some weights
0: and and you know just just yeah pr- press it you know I mean again, it depends on what you want to do. You yeah, can, You can make silky tofu, you can make firm tofu. It's a little bit more intensive than, than yogurt and then it's slightly more than stirring because there are beans involved. Yeah. But, but it's really the same principle. Pretty much. Yeah. Which I had literally no idea about before we did the research for this episode.
1: I know, it's just one of those things that never occurred to me to try to make my own tofu. Right. But it sounds, um, like it can be finicky, but, uh, the rewards are great. Yes. If you succeed. So for all of those, Kitchen adventurers out there, yeah, you don't
0: want to give it a try? Yeah, if you make your own, let us know. Let us know how it's different from store brand tofu.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of the what is it portion. Um, let's uh, talk about some history. But first, a break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth.
2: Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
4: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iheart radio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote
3: hi i'm cindy crawford and i'm the founder of meaningful beauty
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So tofu, despite being known by its Japanese name, most likely originated in China sometime around 206 to 220 BCE.
0: That's the Han Dynasty, if you're more familiar with the dynastic version of timekeeping in China.
1: Yes. And this is the production of it. Right. Probably originated there then. It was probably discovered much earlier by accident. As a lot of these fermenty type things are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A popular story goes that around this time, a chef living in northern China was testing out ways to spice up the popular dish of soybean soup by adding some unrefined sea salt Mm -hmm. that had some naturally occurring coagulating nigari. But to his surprise, not to ours, (laughs) Uh, it curdled into this gel tofu like thing. That people loved. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. And sort of a fun spinoff of this story goes that a man was trying to fix something for his parents who had lost their teeth. Oh. And they could only eat soft food. So he pureed some cooked soybeans. hmm But the parents did a spit take after trying it, <laughs> saying that there were too many solid bits of bean in there. So the son tried again, and he passed the soup through some mesh, but that still didn't satisfy the parents who thought it had no flavor, no oomph. So he's on his last leg and he reheated the mixture and added some salt and then he let it cool and it formed the tofu like jelly that was probably tofu-ish and um <laughs> finally his parents were not only satisfied but very satisfied and there you go. Uh another legend tells the tale of Lord Lu An, a prince of the Han dynasty and it, according to this he invented tofu In around 164 BCE. Okay. Yeah, this fellow was on the hunt for an immortality elixir. Ah. So he ventured alone off into the mountains to create this potion. Um, But alas, he wasn't successful. Oh, that we know of. Oh. Ooh. Hey. A whole tangent could happen right now, but it won't. Either Uh, way. (laughs) His experiments did leave behind a soft white substance, which he got the peasants to try, of course, because, you know, could have been poison. Yeah. He, he didn't want to die. Sure. But they declared it delicious and non-poisonous. <laughs> um, and this newly discovered non-immortality elixir was named tofu. Or probably dofu. Yes. But. Yes, exactly. However, this story didn't pop up until about a thousand years after it was supposed to have happened. Ah. So historians think it's probably not true. Uh, and this is sort of a thing that uh, sometimes in history, a popular invention story goes to a popular historical figure. Sure. Apparently.
0: It's all, I mean, it's, I, I like the immortality,
1: uh. Oh, sure. Angle. That's nice. Yeah. Another theory claims that the Chinese picked up milk curdling techniques from the Mongolians or the East Indians. Huh. Um, and the crux of this argument is pretty much words. The Chinese word dofu is very close to the Mongolian word rufu, which translates to spoiled or rotten milk. Huh. Yes. There's actually not that much evidence for any of those stories. Not surprisingly, really. But those are like three popular origin uh-huh. stories of tofu. Yeah. Since it was relatively simple and cheap to produce, however it originated, uh it became a favorite delicacy throughout China. There are descriptions found in writings and poetry from the Song and Yuan dynasty, which is um nine sixty to twelve seventy-nine CE and twelve seventy-one to thirteen sixty eight CE, respectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they indicate that tofu production was by the most part standardized. By these times, mm-hmm. Su Dongpo, a poet during the Song dynasty, purportedly was inspired by his love of tofu to invent the aptly named dish Dongpo Tofu. Uh. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, it was also used in traditional medicine to do things like clean your spleen and replenish your chi. Huh. Mm-hmm. Spleen cleaning. I could use a good spleen cleaning, I'm sure. Very spleeny. <laughs> Ninth century Buddhist monks who were big fans of tofu because they thought the vegetarian diet was better for the spirit introduced the soya plant to Japan and Korea. Although they could have been in either of those places or both of those places for much longer.
0: Probably wherever you were making soy milk happen. Yeah. But or, or making
1: ground soy soup products. <laughs> I thought for, at first I thought you were saying like, from the ground, ground oh. soy soup. Oh, ground soy. Uh, I, uh, now I understand. As opposed to air soy or fire yes. soy. Yes, I was like, ooh, with <laughs> our powers combined. <laughs> tofu was first mentioned in a 950 CE document by Tao Ku. tofu the word that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, people in China gave tofu the nickname Vice Mayor's Mutton because of the story of this guy that was <laughs> too poor to afford mutton so he bought tofu instead, but I'm pretty sure the point of that story was actually frugality was a virtuous thing so oh, he was doing a,
0: thing. a good thing yeah not, not not like a not like Welsh rabbit, which is just making fun of a number of
1: levels of right okay I think it was positive like the Vice <laughs> good on him. yeah he's, he's making do <laughs> I think so <laughs> the first written record of a tofu dish served in Japan describes an offering served in. 1183 CE at the Kasuga Shrine. And the upper class of Japan, they adopted tofu fairly quickly, and it was widely enjoyed by the 1400s. A Japanese book published during the Edo period, which was 1603 to 1867, had over 100 oh tofu goodness. recipes in it. Yeah, um, and part of that was probably related to the rise in acceptance of Buddhism. If we go back over to China during the Qing dynasty, um, which was 1644 to 1911, Emperor Kansi, uh reportedly gave his high officials locally and strongly flavored tofu in place of jade or gold or wow. the like while on an inspection tour of southern China. I, I can't imagine expecting jade and getting tofu. And getting tofu? I can't say I'd be upset necessarily. Depends on how good the tofu was.
0: And how hungry I was at that current yes.
1: moment. But I just love that. So <laughs> how I know I'll get them tofu. <laughs> It'd be perfect. At the time, tofu was mostly made in small shops using um, similar methods in both China and Japan, all the way up until the 1960s. Oh wow! Yes, and then the Japanese Food Research Institute made a set of recommendations aimed at standardizing and modernizing tofu, including things like using. Calcium sulfate as the thickener instead of nigari. And using pressure cookers, hydraulic presses, centrifuges, instead of doing everything manually. And as you'd guess, the recommendations succeeded in speeding up tofu production. Ah, but what effect did it have on the tofu? Exactly. Some tofu producers refuse to adopt it, thinking it negatively impacted the flavor, and they still do everything by hand. Oh, it's beautiful. I know. I want to do a taste test. I do too. I want to know if you can taste like any difference. I, I imagine you.
0: I imagine you probably good. can. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I would hope so, and I would guess so. Maybe one day, Lauren, <laughs> we'll get we'll get a taste test. We'll know the truth. We'll have to go to Japan. We'll, we'll just, we'll Done. have to tell, we'll have to tell our boss that it's necessary. <laughs> Absolutely. He won't be able to argue, I'm sure. The believed first written English use of the word tofu, and it was spelled, uh, with a W at this point. T-O-W-F-U. Mm-hmm, by an American was in a letter exchanged between Englishman James Flint and Benjamin Franklin. <gasps> yeah. In 1770. Benji, what you doing? He's okay. propping up in the tofu episode. Okay. Uh, Franklin had apparently been on the hunt for what he called Chinese cheese since reading about it in the writings of Domingo Fernandez Navarrete. His work, by the way, um, Domingo's work was first published in 1665 and it was translated into English in 1704, which is the first known instance of tofu in an English language document ah. written down. Ah, but, but not, okay. Right. Gotcha. Earlier in the 1600s, Captain John Sarris wrote of his time in Japan and is thought to have been describing tofu with, of cheese they have plenty, butter they have none, nor will they eat any milk because they hold it to be as blood, nor will they tame beast. So the cheese was probably Was
0: tofu. probably tofu. Mm-hmm. Because without taming beasts, I'd, I'd imagine that it would be difficult
1: to get Yeah, milk for cheese. Yeah, and I thought I wanted to include that just because I thought it was interesting that that, that kind of sounds like yeah vegetarianism or veganism yeah cuz they won't have any milk butter yeah <laughs> i yeah yeah interesting historical note. and also
0: also i just love that there there was just no concept of of a uh, curdled product other than cheese it yes. was like that's that's what it uh, is yep. this is a cheese thing it must
1: be it must be cheese yeah <laughs> um in the U.S., despite having soybeans since the 1700s, um, and they were made popular by Chinese immigrants during the gold rush uh, okay. uh-huh, of the 1800s. The first tofu company, by the way, opened in 1878 in San Francisco. Oh. Uh-huh. Tofu wasn't really that popular for a long time. There was a modest bump after soldiers returned from World War II, some of them with Asian cuisine and some with Asian spouses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, at the beginning of the 20th century, soybeans were predominantly grown as a cash crop to regenerate soil in between crops. Um, in between like more yeah. useful crops. Exactly. He- heavy scare quotes there. Yeah. They were very heavy. <laughs> um, also as food for livestock. And to produce oil used in manufacturing or for culinary use,
0: especially as World War II started blocking the trade of other imported oils and
1: fats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the 1950s, American soybean production nearly equaled Asian soybean production, and by the 1960s, the U.S. provided 75% of the world supply. However, it wasn't until the 1970s that more mainstream stores started offering tofu in response to the growing popularity of global cuisines and also high meat costs plus the rise of vegetarianism and just general health awareness. Tofu started to gain popularity, and today the U.S. is one of the world's largest soybean producers. Uh, I think it's like
0: 80%. Oh, goodness. hmm oh.
1: But still, the U.S. consumes relatively low amounts of tofu compared to places like China, where tofu is a big part of their culture. Oh, yeah. There's all these beautiful
0: legends (laughs) about it. I mean, other than that, those origin stories, right?
1: Yeah. A popular one is about a poor but pretty lady (laughs) who is known as Bean Curd Beauty. What? Tofu shishu. Uh, which comes from a story about a woman named Shishu who was so beautiful, fish froze and sank to their deaths at the sight of her. Who? And thus her name came to mean beauty. So, yeah, being curd beauty. Wow, that's some like, like Galadriel kind of, kind of stuff. That's intense. That's an intense beauty. I can just imagine walking by a river and this fish dying. Like, sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean it. I can't go anywhere. I don't. um a man who sexually harasses a woman is said to be eating her tofu oh yeah uh. i know it sounds pretty dirty as uh, something to do with a beautiful tofu shopkeeper who men would keep coming to visit the shop less for the tofu and more for the woman oh okay i get it yes. okay
0: that's not as dirty as it sounds no yeah that's
1: that's good uh-huh <laughs> excellent um, tofu is close to the Chinese word for luck, so it's a big part of Chinese Lunar New Year celebrations. Um, also in certain parts of
0: Chinese culture, it's considered bad luck to eat uh, meat on the Lunar New Year. So, um, right. so mm-hmm. soy um substitutes would therefore be popular. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I also saw something about like a death ritual in China where um you. Bring tofu to graves because it's soft enough for the dead to chew. But I could only find huh. that one place, so I was like, I don't know if is this, this is really a thing. thing. I don't know if anyone else knows. Write in, yeah. Um, mapo tofu translated means freckled woman, huh. and it's supposedly named after the freckled woman who invented the dish and served it at a good price to loyal customers. Huh. I can say that when I was in China, I definitely. There were so many tofu options. Like, there was a dim sum place of tofu. What? Yeah. It was both dim sum and only tofu options.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
1: And I remember the dessert being, at the time, I was relatively new to tofu, because as I said, it was not a thing in my house growing up, when they were like, the dessert is also tofu. Oh, (laughs) no. I had some reservations, (laughs) but it was delicious. (laughs) So that's a tofu history abridged. Yes. (laughs) Whirlwind. Whirlwind.
0: So now let's take a look at some science. Yeah, but first, let's take a quick look at a word from our sponsor.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone.
0: Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the
1: number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit pronamel.com.
2: Ready? Okay. Okay.
3: Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
0: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, the science segment of this podcast <laughs> episode is going to deal largely with the uh, with the health mm-hmm. uh, of tofu, the healthfulness of tofu. But first, a really huge disclaimer. It's a huge one. It's gigantic, folks. Um. So... Humans, uh, scientists included, really like talking about soy food products. But whenever you see a headline about the, the healthfulness or the lack thereof of soy— Please do remember that soy food products is a ludicrously large bucket of stuff, like, like an ocean-sized bucket, really. Um, because in addition to, uh, to tofu and its variants, you've got straight-up soybeans, as in like edmame, um, you've got soy milk, soy, soy protein that is created for the sake of protein, uh, soy protein that is manufactured, um, for, for food texture and kind of crept into all kinds of products that you don't even realize it's there, mm. and on and on and on. And each of these foods involve working with soybeans in different ways that change the nature of their constituent molecules. The the soy protein isolates, frequently used in mouse studies to determine soy's health effects, are going to interact with the body completely differently from if you just eat some fried tofu. Right. Speaking of fried tofu, Uh and it's going to sound real duh when I just say it out loud, (laughs) um, but any fats that you add during the cooking process of a soy product like tofu are also going to interact with your body. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, same thing as, uh, you know, sugars and salts and whatever. The nutritive properties of any single human food product are really hard to suss out because it's nigh on impossible to control human diet enough to create a really good, clean study. And on top of that, human bodies all digest and process food just a little bit differently. We're all different, y'all. We are. We are all unique snowflakes in mm. a lovely, strange way. <laughs> um, But okay. Let's talk about tofu and nutrition. Let's do it. Uh Uh-huh. As Annie said at the top of the show, tofu is relatively high in protein. It's kind of mid-range in fats and low in carbohydrates. That means that it's filling and also that it won't uh, spike or crash your blood sugar. Good times there. The fats that are in tofu are pretty good for you. They're mostly monounsaturated fatty acids, a.k.a. the stuff that's been shown to lower bad LDL cholesterol levels in your body. And tofu itself contains no cholesterol. It's a fairly high quality protein especially for not being an animal product which means that it uh it, it contains relatively high amounts of all of the essential amino acids which are the ones that our bodies cannot produce and thus that we have to get from foods. It is always best, especially when designing a vegetarian diet, to eat a variety of different foods that you can intake all the stuff that your body needs over the course of
1: a day. Mhm. Everything the body needs.
0: Yes, and unfortunately we don't have that that slurry of of matrix stuff so unfortunately instead- or
1: unfortunately <laughs> I, I think there's a debate to be had either way
0: <laughs> i guess you could just drink a whole lot of soylent um i, I don't actually recommend that either sorry soylent <laughs> you're not it's not terrible it's it's quite fine it's not um terrible. yes eat, eat some eat eat some different vegetables is what i'm saying yes uh tofu still the good source of nutrients that Annie was saying. And uh, oh, uh spe- speaking of the nutrients in tofu, uh, it's best to buy it in opaque or semi-opaque containers because as with dairy products, exposure to light will degrade some of tofu- tofu's nutrients, um, such as omega-3 fatty acids. Though, uh, you know, I don't know. If your local Asian market makes it in-house and packages it in clear pint containers like mine does, you know, maybe try some of that sometime anyway. It's probably delicious. Probably. You're not losing a whole lot. But Lauren, you might be saying, does soy cause cancer? I was saying that. Were you? You were you very know, quiet about it. Yeah. But, well, you know, thank you for playing along. You're um, welcome. <laughs> eating, eating tofu will most likely not cause cancer, and it may actually help prevent certain kinds of it. Okay, so this is going to be one of my weird medical tangents, y'all. One of the things that soy products in general contain is particles called isoflavones, which are chemically similar to estrogens. They're similar enough that isoflavones can fit into some cellular receptors that were designed for estrogen in your body like a skeleton key into a lock, okay? Mm -hmm. Thus, acting like estrogens in certain circumstances. For example, breast tissue cells contain estrogen receptors. And sometimes when a little chunk of estrogen locks into one of those receptors, it causes a chain reaction that encourages cancerous tumor growth this is the trigger of about 75% of breast cancers um though the full process is really super complex and researchers are still studying how and why it happens but that's the basis of it that's the that first first little stick in the in the full long chain long chain of how it does however uh isoflavins can block it from happening because if isoflavins get to those receptors first the estrogen has nowhere to go it can't lock in and set off that tumorous reaction uh, isoflavones can also spur cells to produce a protein that binds to free roaming estrogen in your body, meaning that estrogen will have a hard time locking into any kind of receptors at all. And isoflavones can even prevent estrogen from forming in fat tissue in the first place, which is one of those cancer-causing kind of things. Research into a variety of soy products, not just tofu, has shown either no correlation with cancer or correlation with lower rates of cancer in humans. In mouse studies, however, <laughs> uh, two types of soy protein isolates have been linked to cancer. The- these are man-made extracts of soy proteins, and-, and this type of stuff does not wind up in our food. But they are similar to the stuff that you can get in, uh, like, soy supplement pills. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe don't take those until more research is done. But tofu is fine on the cancer front. Also, these isoflavones have not been shown to affect hormone balances or hormone activity in dudes. So, go forth and eat tofu. Yes. Without being worried about cancer or low sperm counts. Yeah. it. You know, it's it's what I love about food. Yeah. Sometimes
1: you worry about low sperm counts. Sometimes. When you're discussing it. Food is so vital to, like, (laughs) so many things you just don't even... You don't even think about. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Another thing that you might be thinking about, should I be worried about GMOs? <gasps> should I no, okay. well, okay, not in terms of nutrition. there is, and this is a strong statement, my friends, but i'm Ooh. but I'm prepared to make it zero evidence that genetically modified food as a large and incredibly multitudinous category acts any differently in your body at all than conventional food. Hmm. Take a moment and let that sink in. Yeah. Okay. The, the one squidgy area that I've read about is potential allergen concerns. There, there was a case in 1996 of um, tree nut allergic patients having reactions to GMO soy because the genetic bits that had been put into the soy had been taken from uh, Brazil nuts. Oh, okay. Okay. But since then, researchers and producers have gotten a lot more careful about allergens in that way. And even that, one squidgy little bit of concern, is evidence that GMO foods act in your body exactly the way that regular foods do. Oh yeah. That bit was an allergen, and it caused an allergic reaction. Not mysterious. Please do not be scared of eating GMO products merely because they're genetically modified. Seriously. Right. We will we will do a whole episode about this sometime, but that's that's the takeaway. Mm-hmm. There is an environmental aside here though. Oh, is there? Mm-hmm. Because some genetic modifications are designed to make crops less bothered by, uh, by herbicides. huh Which basically lets growers spray herbicides with wild abandon. <sighs> which is generally bad for the humans and other living things in the area. If you're concerned about those practices, do and, you know, go out there and, and, and inform yourself, you know, do research about the specific growers of various GMO products and uh, and make your make your consumer choices accordingly. But I'll say it again. Please don't be scared of eating GMO foods just because they're genetically modified. Right. Even though people weren't poking the inside of cells with the inside of other cells for the past few millennia. That's that's the new thing. Um, we have been genetically modifying our food by more traditional uh methods since we've been farming yeah
1: i mean just be informed yeah we're always a proponent of being informed which makes sense given oh, sure. what we're doing <laughs> um i have a friend who's like tangentially in this field and she has very strong opinions on this oh, as you would
0: imagine i'm sure mm-hmm. yeah uh oh man maybe maybe we could get her to, to come talk to us or something
1: oh yeah she she'd talk she'd talk all right (laughs) talk your ear off (laughs) Uh,
0: she sounds uh, usually when people say this it's sarcastically but I bet she's really fun at parties oh yeah
1: (laughs) she is (laughs) anyone who will talk GMOs with me at a like cocktail party it's automatically we should be friends right (laughs) oh
0: but going back to the environmental thing uh hey is tofu environmentally unfriendly man
1: you're giving me all these frightening questions (laughs)
0: um the the answer is like mm-hmm. okay, well, one of the arguments for vegetarian or largely vegetarian eating is the 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 impact of raising meat animals, right? um because because you know the calories that you get from a steak, a lot more um water and time and food product has gone into growing that steak than would go into growing an ear of corn or mm-hmm. a tofu. Or whatever it is that you're growing. A soybean, not a tofu. You don't just grow tofu. Oh, I like that wild image, nice. though. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the meat's carbon footprint is really significant. Mm-hmm. Precisely how significant depends on a whole bunch of different factors and whether or not you're including them all at once. That's also a topic for a whole episode unto itself. So, you know, th- that's an argument for, like, maybe replace some uh, some meat in some meals with some tofu. Like and Meatless
1: Mondays. Meatless
0: like... Mondays, exactly. That kind of concept. However... In some countries, like say the United Kingdom, where most of your soy is being imported, the transport and manufacture of soy into tofu is also not really great, Mm -hmm. carbon footprint wise. (sighs) Sorry. Okay. All your faves are problematic.
1: Okay. Well, be informed. We have to live (laughs) by our own, (laughs) our own motto. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does that, does that clear everything up? Does that make everything just, just perfectly muddy? The world is very complex.
0: I think that's the takeaway that we can uh, that we can
1: garner here. I believe that is all we have for you today on <laughs> tofu. I hope that uh, vegetarians that this kind of makes up for sated you just a, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and of course, there are lots of other
0: soy products. We touched on a few of them here and there, but I would love to do whole episodes about tempa
1: or um, mm. all of the, or natto. Oh man, yeah. We probably will. Excellent. Yes. Uh, but now it's time for listener mail.
0: Yay. Yes. So Lindsay wrote in, uh, in response to our gin and tonic episode, and she said, I just listened to the gin and tonic podcast. You spoke about the British government enacting laws to protect people from gin by making it more expensive, which in turn led to illegal and improperly distilled gin resulting in death, uh, reminiscent of our own war on drugs. This reminds me of Costa Rica and their Cacique Guaro. Costa Rica took a different approach when they were having a rise in deaths from improperly distilled moonshine liquor that was disproportionately affecting its poorest citizens. Their approach was to nationalize the production of Guaro, a uh, sugarcane-derived liquor, and keep it very inexpensive to undercut illegal operations. Obviously, you have to be a little bit skeptical when the state takes control of an industry, but this approach didn't incarcerate a vulnerable community like the war on drugs and stymied a public health crisis.
1: Yeah, I never heard of that and I thought it was really interesting. Um, and I went to the website and it looks just like any old.
0: Just like any stuff.
1: Any old liquor website. Cool. uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's fascinating though. That's a, I mean, good, good on them. I, I feel like most stories that you hear about that kind of thing don't, don't end, don't end happily. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so thank you, Lindsay, for writing in.
1: Definitely. Very interesting to hear about that. Emily wrote in about our pineapple episode. She had a lot of facts, but uh, a lot of pineapple-related facts, (laughs) but this is one of them. My final pineapple thought came to me when you were talking about how expensive they were. I thought of the musical Cabaret. In the stage version of Cabaret, not the movie, the adorable grocer Herr Schultz gives his crush a pineapple in the song It Couldn't Please Me More. In the song, she sings things like, oh, this gift is too extravagant, and he keeps telling her that she's worth it. It culminates with him saying, if I could, I would fill your entire room with pineapples. (laughs) It's an adorable love song about how expensive pineapples were in 1930s Germany. That song is probably one of my favorites from the show. It really cements the love they have for one another, anyway, enough of me rambling on about pineapples. never enough, never but, um i i I think I've seen Cabaret before, and I think I just wrote that off as like some kind of weird reference I wasn't getting. yeah, sure. I was just like, oh, you know, well, whatever. yeah, I'm sure pineapples were hard to get in like Nazi Germany, right, but uh. But, know, but
0: but right, but knowing the history of pineapples, it I makes know. it so much more
1: poignant. I know. I appreciate it so much more now. So thank you for that, Emily. I, yeah, I'd totally forgotten about that. <laughs> and thank you to everyone else who's written us in or sent us things. Um, you guys just have so many cool stories. Please keep them coming. Yes. Yes. Um, we have an email address. Foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. Uh uh-huh. We're also on various social media
0: platforms. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook and Twitter at Foodstuff HSW and also on Instagram at Foodstuff.
1: Mm-hmm. And we also have a lot of very fun videos. I think they're fun anyway. Um, <laughs> you can find, <laughs> you can find some of them on Facebook. You can find them on Amazon Prime. For free in the U.S. Uh, with commercials, and if you're a Prime member, no commercials. Uh-huh. Or you can find them on our very own website, HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, check check those out. You know, give give a give a mental high five to our uh, sound engineer, uh, Tristan McNeil, mm-hmm. and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
2: Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? we Time for chill vibes. Beach, no yoga! How about a garden tour? Battle, Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.